Welcome to International Law Talk of Wolters Kluwer International Group. During a series of podcasts, we'll bring you insightful analysis, commentary, and discussion from thought leaders and experts on current topics in the field of international arbitration, IP law, international tax law, competition law, and other international legal fields. Hello, my name is Ari Ernesty, and I am an assistant editor of Kluwer Arbitration Blog and foreign attorney at Shin and Kim in Seoul, Korea. For today's podcast, we invited Chian Bao, an independent arbitrator based at Arbitration Chambers in Hong Kong. Chian Bao, welcome to the third interview of our podcast series. Thank you, Ari, and it's a pleasure to be here, and thank you for inviting me to join this podcast series. Our listeners will be eager to hear more about your background and experience and how you got to your current position. First, please highlight for us some of the key moments in your multifaceted career. I would say that there are probably four main key moments, although with many small anecdotes in between. Um, but I first got into arbitration um, by way of um, an interest in the cultural differences between dispute resolution. And I proposed this topic as a research topic for my Fulbright scholarship, which I was awarded to come to Hong Kong to study just that. Um, and at that time, I was pursuing this um, research area through um, doing a master's at the City University of Hong Kong, which was the only dispute resolution master's program in Asia. Um, and through that, I think the world opened for me in this for, in this space. Um, during this time doing a master's at City U, I also participated in the Vismut competition twice, in fact. I loved it so much the first time I did it a second time. Um, and at that time as well, I, there were many guest lecturers that came and spoke with our classes, including Michael Moser and Neil Kaplan. And little did I know that they would have um, very important um, role to play in my life going forward. Um, importantly, Neil Kaplan hired me um, as a tribunal assistant um, after I left Hong Kong and moved to London to work for him. Um, and that was um, also a, a pivotal moment, so to speak, as I had a, the first glimpse as to what it might look like to be an international arbitrator. Um, and there were many small moments in between. I was an intern at the ICC where I met some of the interns that I met and the council and other leaders that I met at that time are still very much friends and influential in my life. And other kind of programs that I did um, thereafter um, all have stayed with me since. Um, another important and probably the final kind of pivotal moment, recent pivotal moment would have been um, Michael Moser, who was chair at the HKIC um, in 2010, hired me to serve as secretary general. And I uh, moved from New York to Hong Kong um, to take up that role and since then have been in Asia. Thank you for, for your full answer to that question. Um, together with Michael Moser, you have just published a new book titled Managing Belt and Road Business Disputes, a case study of legal problems and solutions. Your new book is a follow-up to Managing Business Disputes in Today's China, Dueling with Dragons, 
a book from 2007 edited by Michael Moser that took an interesting and novel approach to managing business disputes in China. In the first chapter, Dr. Moser set out a fictional scenario based on events that had occurred in real life transactions. Then he and the contributors discussed different aspects of the scenarios in, in the remaining chapters, uh, taking a practical approach. Can you tell us how your new book picks up where, you, where the first one left off? Yeah, I think, um, first of all, I should say that the initial book in 2007 really captured the moment of China-related business um, worldwide. Uh, Michael, ever the visionary, had the good foresight and the good um, idea to capture that inbound flow of investment into China trend and invite contributors to address the main issues facing investors at the time. Um, I think finding that, having found that book to be hugely practical, um, and I was involved early on when I was at HKIC in um, utilizing that book to build out some conferences to really kind of show what businesses might anticipate when doing business in China. Um, that Seeing that over the years kind of play out and then seeing the wave of outbound investment over the years, uh, most recently branded with this Belt and Road Initiative theme. Um, I thought um, this change in kind of trend um, deserved to be captured. Um, and so that's where I think this new book picks off, uh, picks up. Um, and the timing, I think, couldn't be better for such a second edition. Um, it, this book really captures the outbound disputes um, and the outbound investments from Chinese companies going out. Um, and they have done for some time now, as I mentioned most recently now, it's in, captured in the form of Belt and Road. Um, the structure of this second edition is tracks the first edition in that there is a fact scenario that is largely based on real-time transactions. Um, and then some of the chapters um, are taken exactly from the first edition. For example, um, informal dispute resolution that deals with ADR, um, arbitration inside China, arbitration outside China, um, enforcement of arbitration awards. These are some, you know, topics that were covered in the first edition and now also in the second edition because they are always being dealt with, whether you're doing in, investment in or outside of China. Um, in addition, this um, book captures certain industries commonly seen along the Belt and Road, including project finance and construction um, related projects and disputes. Um, so that I think was helpful to kind of um, focus on um, because many of these outbound disputes are, are of this nature. Um, but this book also captures important issues that are trending um, in 2020 or in the last few years, um, including investment arbitration, 
the framework of an entreaty framework, as well as how um, investment arbitration may be seen as a remedy. Um, other issues include corruption, sanctions, climate change, force majeure, which is, of course, the most recent chapter that was added as a result of this pandemic. Um, and also the unique player that of the state-owned enterprises that often feature in outbound investments. In one of our international law talks, we interviewed Professor Bernard Hanatia, and he had a couple of questions for you. First is, given the growing interest in the PRC and Belt and Road Initiative, are arbitral awards rendered in the PRC available? Yes, arbitration awards in the PRC are as available as arbitration awards from around the world. Um, But one of the uh, reasons why I think arbitration awards from the PRC are less accessible is due to language. Um, And for that reason, a few years ago, Clarice van Munchheim initiated a project to translate arbitration awards into English. And I understand that there are um, these are collected in the Kluwer arbitration database. Another question Professor Hannah Tiao had was how much domestic and how much international arbitration there is with the main PRC arbitration institutions? There are hundreds of arbitration institutions in, PR, in the PRC, as you may know. Um, out of the main PRC arbitration institutions, there are um, the statistics are significant. I think at least I would say 2,000 of them from the main institutions. Um, many of these, I would say, are domestic in nature um, because these arbitrations have to be dealt with. Domestic arbitration, domestic disputes have to be um, arbitrated within China um, at the moment. And so um, these types of disputes may include um, foreign investment enterprises, FIEs, um, against another, you know, uh, domestic company that's fundamentally international in nature. So, for example, you might have um, Microsoft China versus Apple China, both domestic companies, but fundamentally foreign um, that have to be arbitrated in China. And so there may be many of these types of disputes that come um, um, under these PRC arbitration institutions. Um, As well, um, there are probably an increasing number of international arbitrations now with Chinese parties being becoming the more strong, the stronger bar, having the stronger bargaining power over the recent years um, with the outbound investment as part of this book um, describes, more and more Chinese parties can um, persuade their counterparty to choose um, a Chinese arbitration institution. So for those two reasons, um, I think um, there is a significant number of cases being dealt with within the PRC arbitration institutions. Thank you. You are a vice president of the ICC Court of Arbitration and chair of the ICC Commission Task Force on Arbitration and ADR. The ICC website says the purpose of the task force is to find solutions in a post-COVID-19 world, including technology options, 
when one, assessing the most appropriate procedures when a dispute arises, and two, assisting users in building ADR procedures into their internal systems. Can you tell us a little about the task force work and any interesting or unexpected lessons that have been learned thus far? Yeah, so this task force is um, really quite a special one for me. I think it really is addressing the heart of um, better efficiency within arbitration. And it's manifests itself in two specific mandates. One is um, finding the better ways to settle arbitrations um, and seeing what the trends are of settlement within arbitration and what kind of features of the arbitral process may facilitate settlement within arbitration. Um, and the other mandate is how to better utilize ADR in general, but also in the context of arbitration. Um, and so this particular time of COVID and the pandemic um, is um, the ideal time for this type of task force to be grappling with these issues. Uh, and we have seen, you know, as I mentioned earlier, technology options being dealt with in the uh, being um, utilized to resolve um, disputes more quickly. Um, but also I think there is a great um, desire to engage with ADR in particular in mediation um, to resolve disputes more quickly during this pandemic. Um, one of the things that I find to be a personal highlight is the great engagement that I've seen by users and in-house counsel in discussing their needs with this task force. Um, we have users from around the world who are giving up a half an hour each week to grapple with, share with the community as to what kind of needs they have for dispute resolution. Um, and through this, I don't, I can't say that there are specific lessons that I am ready to share um, because the work is still in progress, but I think that it will be, um, whatever the result is of this report, it will be reflective of what the users are actually seeing within their businesses and how they um, wish for the dispute resolution industry to support their needs. Sounds like a lot of positive developments, and I look forward to hearing more about them. Uh, as Secretary General of HKIAC, one of your roles was promoting Hong Kong as a seat of arbitration. I wonder, has anything changed since your time as Secretary General that makes you reconsider some of the key selling points you focused on at that time? I think the, I mean, the world has evolved since I was Secretary General five years ago. And um, there are lots of selling points that I focused on that remain very much true. And I think um, one of the key selling points at that time was that HKIC could was the ideal um, institution for facilitating um, and administering arbitrations involving China-related parties. And I think that that remains an important um, selling point for HKIC. Um, HKIC's um, secretariat services remain um, high quality, um, and it has further in been enhanced through um, the technology developments of the institution. 
Um, I understand that uh, the HKIC has also seen um, a couple of treaty cases in recent years. And so that's um, a, a, a particularly interesting development. Um, the new rules, of course, have played an important part of, you know, the further enhancement of the secretariat's work. Um, and I understand that the tribunal secretary program um, that I implemented many years ago continues to be um, well um, a, a, an attractive feature for arbitrators and um, parties alike in ensuring that arbitrations are dealt with efficiently. That's a quite a long list of accomplishments, and um, we thank you for for making HKIC what it is today. Uh, and I just want to ask before before we close, one final question that we ask all of our interviewees. What, according to you, will be the biggest change in arbitration in the next five to 10 years? I think there are three main areas of change that I foresee. And I think this has been ex exponentially accelerated by this pandemic. One is, of course, technology. It's hard to say that technology will not play an important and front and center role in any change that we might see in the next five or 10 years. Um, I also think that there will be a spreading out of seats. Um, the traditional seats are certainly attractive, but I think that more and more seats will be um, similarly attractive. Asia is a really good um, good region to kind of showcase the possibility of more and more arbitration seats that can be popular and successful. Um, traditionally, we only had Hong Kong and Singapore, but now there are multiple viable seats, including, you know, Tokyo, Seoul, Kuala Lumpur, Sydney, um, many other seats that I think are popular. And I think this is partly due to um, the fact that the tyranny of distance will no longer play as important of a role in international arbitration in light of um, the use of technology. Um, and also the other feature, I think, is diversity. Um, we have made huge inroads in gender diversity. Um, and I think that that charge will continue as we see the need for um, I like to call it group all the diversities into the idea of cognitive diversity, which in my mind means the diversity of thinking within international arbitration. And that will manifest itself in the form of geographic diversity, ethnic diversity, socioeconomic diversity, and all the other kind of traditional kind of features. I think I can, you think you can group them into one um, core type of diversity being diversity of thinking through cognitive diversity. So those are the three kind of main areas, technology, more seats and diversity that I think we'll see um, the greatest change in the next five or 10 years. Thank you, Ms. Bao. It was a pleasure to hear more about your journey to becoming an independent arbitrator, your current work, your new book, and your projections about what will happen in the next five to 10 years in arbitration. Really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ari. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for interviewing me. Stay informed. Subscribe to this podcast. Visit cluerlaw.com or follow us on social media.